This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Mark Daniels, researcher at the Florida Institute for Human and Machine Cognition. I look at everything that we're doing here at IHMC and all the other exoskeletons and the other technology that is you know, giving mobility back to people with disabilities, people just like me. I look at all of this as hopefully that 18 year old kid that I was, you know, an accident will happen to him and he will, you know, get paralyzed. And some of the technology that I'm working on or helping to push or develop will be what he's given whenever he has the same problem that I did. And he'll go back to the same job that he had and he won't have to start his life over. We notice who makes strides in the market and who who wins, you know, so to speak, in that market. And it's the people that pay attention to the feedback of their end user. And the way, you know, to do that is to get somebody that's going to want your technology and then give them a reason to want it. This is Mark. He was born and raised in Pensacola. He injured his spine about 13 years ago and has been using a wheelchair since. In 2010, Mark was asked by the Institute for Human and Machine Cognition to evaluate their first powered exoskeleton, and he has kept his involvement since. He has now joined the organization as a full-time research intern to work on the design, fabrication, and testing of the exoskeleton for the Cybathlon. Mark anticipates the Cybathlon to make a huge stride in technology and awareness to improve the quality of life for those with loss of mobility due to injury or illness across the world. He quotes, Every day I'm confronted with the reality that I'm paralyzed. Every day I face this reality to find comfort in my abilities and not anger in my disability. We all have disabilities and I encourage everyone to live unrestrained. And this inspired me and hence I invited Mark to my podcast. We explore the world of exoskeleton, the major advances that have been made over the last 10 years and how the blend of hardware, software and active user involvement has been fundamental to this. We discuss what the innovation should be really all about, how to accelerate it, and what mental obstacles one has to overcome to come out as a winner. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, why it is key to create solutions that smartly balance working with you as much as for you. Secondly, that users have alternatives, 
sometimes radically different from what you offer. And to make them want to change, you have to deliver a shift in value. Thirdly, why it is key not to argue with a user whether what they want is a good idea or not. And fourthly, that art and technology are not that different. And that's where the opportunity hides. So hi Mark, thank you for being a very special guest on my podcast today. I appreciate you having me on, sir. It's a great opportunity to be here and talk about what we're doing here at IHMZ. Yeah, I mean, I was introduced to you by someone that I met in, an, in another angle, and I was asking for, for remarkable examples of what can be done when technology and people blend in the right way. And it's the question I always ask with the, with the podcast I do. But this one is one that I haven't done before, to be really honest. So I'm making my audience a little bit, how do you say that? I try to, to tease them a little bit. I always work and kind of interview CEOs that are starting and working with a business software type approach and, and try to build something that's uh, making a big impact in the market. But today, of course, we're talking to you. You're actually a user and a very special one, I would say, because you've been paralyzed since you were 18. And we'll talk about it a little in a while. But now you are heavily involved in creating the next generation of yeah, technology that is going to help people that are disabled and paralyzed to walk and do normal things in life again. Is that correct? Yes, sir. That is the goal to go from a wheelchair, you know, which is, you know, and that now a two, three, four thousand year old concept to the, the modern age, you know, we're moving yeah. to electric cars and all the other new technology with Bluetooth and cell phones and computers and, and everything. And it's, it's time that we're looking toward upgrading the mobility for, you know, people in wheelchairs and that situation now. Exactly. So you were, you're, you're part of, or you're, you're working together with the Florida Institute of Human and Machine Cognition. What I read on the, on the website was that they are pioneers in technology aimed at leveraging and extending human capabilities. So getting it back to your situation, what is exactly the project or the innovation stream that you're involved in? The project that we're involved in is an, an exoskeleton project. We're, we're working to build an exoskeleton that is not only able to walk and, you know, take the mechanical functions of getting, you know, mobility there, but also have more of an intuitive, you know, aspect to it to where it can, you know, read the landscape just as you would as you're walking and you see a set of stairs coming, you know, you choose whether or not you head that way and you know, as you approach that step, you know, where you need to land the last step before you go to make your next movement. So we're trying to get technology, you know, an exoskeleton to the point where it works with you as much as for you. Wow. Because, I mean, I know those ex exoskeletons and I've, I've seen yeah, magical things. Well, people that are able to do things normally to get help for those exoskeletons, well, to live beyond their weight, so to say. But here's, uh, I think, a good example of uh, actually helping people that are paralyzed. You know, you can't walk to let them walk again and do that with a combination of hardware and software. So I'm really impressed with that approach. And maybe you can go... I mean, kind of review, the, you started about 10 years ago with this, you know, kind of getting involved in this, correct? Yes, sir. I was paralyzed 13 years ago, but I, I was able to, or I was introduced to Peter Newhouse through my physical therapist about three years after the accident. That's how I got involved with IHMC and actually coming in to review and help consult with the Exoskeleton Project. It's been an experience over the past 10 years. Give me an example of the first experience you had and the experience you have today. I mean, what is, what is the difference that you see? Well, so the first experience with the exoskeleton, the original, the original Mina was 
very, very labor intensive. In order to strap into the device, I would actually have to hang with my arms, like basically in like a pull-up type position. And they would attach the XO to me, you know, strap by strap. They get my feet in place and everything, knees, ankles, shins, you know, hips and backpack, you know, that kind of situation. All while I was hanging, it took about five to 10 minutes as long as everything went smooth. And let's see, last Wednesday, whenever we tested, I essentially went from my wheelchair in a sitting position to sitting in the exoskeleton. I can reach down, strap my feet in, strap my shins in, thighs, waist belt, And if we weren't in a testing phase, if we were in, you know, the final stages where I'm practicing, then I would essentially be doing all of that alone and standing up and walking with control of the robot in my hand. So we went from a very, you know, me kind of along for the ride situation to me in control of, you know, getting in and operating. So it's it's been a huge advancement over the past 10 years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I can believe that specifically if you like you're paralyzed you know you need the help from so many people and that's of course that's making everything so difficult to live a normal life so what is interesting to me is like if you look at those yeah the machine or the exoskeleton that you're using where do you believe is the real magic come from is that the hardware part or is it the software part my experience with everything so far is that you can't really have one without the other And it seems that that's kind of the battle that we've had over the past 10 years is that we understand, we have a very good understanding. I won't say we have a hundred percent, but we have a very good understanding of how the, how humans walk. And we have a very good mechanical understanding of how to make those, those movements happen. And then the software side of that, of course, is, is super, you know, complex. And, and I love talking to the guys about it. I don't necessarily understand it totally, but, <laughs> but talking with, you know, with both the, soft, the, you know, the software engineer and mechanical engineers, and then, you know, working hand in hand with them along the way to try to make things happen as far as, you know, what I would expect from an exoskeleton, you know, experience side of it, you know, what mechanical features I want, you know, how do I want it to move, you know, swiftness, you know, those kind of things working with the two engineers to get those things to work together. You can't have one without the other. And it seems like there's always one lagging behind the other. You know, we have, you know, software capability to write things to, to make, you know, to make hardware do certain, you know, tasks, but is the hardware, you know, point capable of that, like battery life, you know, mechanical DC motor power, you know, and can we get all of those functions to happen as we want the software to do it. And and it seems like one is always a little bit behind the other and we're always playing catch up. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes (laughs) sense. The question is whether it's make, whether you're making, I already said it, whether you're catching up because I think what you're doing at the end is like what is also on the website, pioneering with with this technology, because if I hear what you're doing, it's like, I can't believe that that is happening. But I mean, let's kind of drill a little bit into the interaction between the technology side and the user side, because I mean, the typical audience that I always work with, of course, it's all about creating products, creating innovation, transformative impact. And a lot of people that I talk to say, you can't do this without without, having this interaction with the user. But so often we forget about that. So have you got an example where this is, for example, recently or in the last couple of years really made a difference? where you saw where the, yeah, the, the interaction really helped to kind of accelerate the impact that it made for you? 
Yeah, I mean, it seems like it happens, you know, all the time where, you know, I'm, like, I, like I said, I'm always discussing, you know, the, the engineers are always asking me what I want the EXO to do, what would make or what tasks can the EXO complete or help me complete that would make it worthwhile for me to kind of trade in my wheelchair for the exoskeleton. And I feel like that's been kind of the key part of getting us to the point of comfort inside the exoskeleton and giving it the ability to walk like a normal person because I'm able to sit there and give feedback directly to the mechanical and software engineers on what the gait feels like. So we've went from a very kind of, you know, mechanical feeling, you know, walk situation where each step is very, you know, like hip movement, knee movement, ankle movement, everything is very separated. Yeah. And now we're at a point where, you know, the movements are fluid. The motors are not just moving, you know, separately. They're all moving congruently where it's a nice, swift, smooth motion. The same way that you do, you know, you just intuitively. That's what I feel like has been the biggest development over the whole, you know, all stages of the exoskeleton. You know, comfort has come into play, you know, ease of use, you know, me being able to control the device has all been developed and, you know, and, and using, you know, hopefully I've helped them, you know, make it, you know, more, you know, viable or, you know, feasible to build without these problems coming in. But the really, to me, the biggest improvement overall that's been just nice, smooth bell curve up has been the actual feeling of walking. Wow. So that's, a, you know, I mean, yeah, I think you mentioned it in the beginning that, or maybe it was just before we started the interview, that got, getting that memory back about what it actually felt or feels like to walk again. So it's close to there right now, right? Yeah, it really is. With Quicks now, the fourth generation of EXO that we have, we've upgraded the hip where it's not just kind of a hinge movement anymore. Now we have abduction and adduction, which is the ability for you to like stand at a kitchen counter and sidestep two or three, you know, four steps down to from the sink to the refrigerator, you know, and back. Now that we have that ability, it's not just like a hinged movement where, you know, your legs just swing forward and backward. Now we're ability, now we have the ability to do kind of what we call like an egg beater motion, where whenever you move forward, you also move out with your swinging leg as you yeah. twist your hip over your stance leg. So the leg that's straight that you're weight bearing on, you actually shift your hip over to put your weight over that leg as balance. And then your other leg will swing out and forward as you walk. And it's actually kind of a fail safe built into the way you walk. So whenever you do that, if you were to tip forward a little bit as you walk, your foot being swung out a little bit gives you a wider stance. So if you were to fall forward a little bit and plant your foot early, you're actually wide stanced so you're more stable you know what i mean so so those things come into play and it's also a shift of momentum and weight and balance and you know the human walk is not necessarily a stable thing as stable as it may feel you know what i mean it's it's just a you're swinging in motion it's a pendulum effect and if we can get that which we've you know we're getting toward that point now with software now that we have the hardware to do it so it's, it's always been that nice like i say i said a lag before but it's not necessarily a lag as much as it is a driving force. I would say so, yeah. You know, the well, software I mean, gets to a point where it can make these things happen, and then we realize, okay, now we've pushed the hardware to the limit. We need to add this to the hardware, which then adds to what we need for software, and then in turn, we have the cycle that continues. 
Yeah, I'm going to look at all the videos that are available for this, but this is actually now taken to, well, it's, it's of course being tested out there in the, in the live, in the, well, in the field. You were talking about a couple of events that you're going to participate in later this year, the Cybathlon 2020 and the Toyota Challenge, which is the Mobility Unlimited. Tell me a little bit more about that because that's, that is serious. Yes, very serious, actually. And we've been watching our competition for the Cybathlon 2020 as they post videos <laughs> preparing <laughs> for the event. And the competition is fierce this year. This will actually be the second Cybathlon here in 2020. But we had one in 2016. The 2016 Cybathlon, we had eight competitors. Uh, of course, you know, IHMC and, and, you know, we all participated as a team. Of course, I was the only one on the obstacle course actually doing the competition. But, you know, my team behind me, they built the robot. They spent hours, software, you know, design, all these things and, you know, and helping me prepare and everything. So it's never just me out there on the obstacle course or me, you know, doing these interviews. I try to bring as much information from these guys, you know, from the team themselves to everybody and, you know, and, and give them the credit for me being out there. You know, so can you explain a little bit what a Cybathlon is? Because I, mean, yeah. I, I don't think that a lot of people are used to the name. Yes, so uh, Cybathlon is definitely a fu- futuristic name, but it is a futuristic competition. So, of course, you know we're building an exoskeleton, and there is an exoskeleton race. But there's also events for arm amputees, where you have essentially think of like Terminator arm. You know, where it's a robotic arm attached to a person that has an, you know, an amputation above the elbow, their robotic arm is able to do, you know, fine motor tasks like screw in light bulbs and, you know, and shake your hand and, you know, and all these things through, you know, intuitive motion. And then there's the same kind of principle for a knee down amputee. And that's, you know, the arm amputee has its, you know, obstacle course. And then the leg amputee would have their robotic leg or their, you know, their new prosthetic leg. And it would have their obstacle course. And then there's a powered wheelchair course where a wheelchair is, you know, capable of being able to go up and down stairs, you know, and different, you know, other kind of rough terrain that, you know, isn't usually, you know, capable. And then there was, to me, with a really... The most fascinating one to me was the brain control interface, which was essentially like a helmet that reads brain waves, and the user is controlling a video game character inside of a computer. That was one of the obstacle courses. Wow. So that was a really one, really cool one to watch because nobody's doing anything. Everybody's staring at the screen, but things are happening. (laughs) So that was really neat. And then there was a functional electrical stimulation bicycle race where I'm paralyzed, so it would be like me pedaling a bicycle with my legs through electrical shocks, like, you know, small electrical shocks. It's functional electrical stimulation, like a TENS unit. Yeah. And so that was a really neat one to watch as well, like a bunch of paralyzed people riding bicycles. <laughs> so, well, um, but yeah, imagine when this is actually becoming mainstream, what this could do to society. I mean, how many people yeah, are there out there in the world that have these, these kind of disabilities? And yeah, what can it do to give them a normal life back? Yeah, I mean, you think, you know, I'm in a wheelchair now and, and I grew up, you know, I grew up not in a wheelchair. I didn't, I wasn't paralyzed till I was 18. So it's really difficult to, for me to separate the idea of anybody, you know, like, like wheelchair sports versus not wheelchair sports. Like I see so, so many things through both sides without realizing that I see them both that way. But for me, you know, on the wheelchair side, I see how encouraging it can be 
for somebody, you know, who is also in a wheelchair or, you know, also, you know, missing an arm or a leg or, you know, dependent, you know, or they're a quadriplegic and they're dependent upon a wheelchair that's not that mobile or not that, you know, agile. So, so all these things and then having, you know, an individual, like you said, mainstream on an, you know, an obstacle course, you know, an event, they're having a competition, you know, having somebody that's similar to you to root for can be so, you know, encouraging and hopeful. And then also these events, you know, they provide an opportunity for sponsorships and, you know, and, and to pass a hope and stuff that comes along with it. So it's, so it's super exciting to have these things going on. Exactly. Yeah, there are, of course, uh, there are not, not too many companies in the world that are mainstream on this. Talking about, when you talked about the Cybathlon t- 2016 and, and 2020, just to go back on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, how different is this year going to be compared to one four years ago in terms of evolution? Uh, is that um, the size, size and the amount of participation. So in 2016, like I said, we had eight exoskeletons yeah. to race including IHMC, I think this year we have somewhere along the lines of 20. So, and, and the scope of the competition, you know, has changed across the board is, with all the obstacles. There's just more participants. There's more participation across, you know, more, you know, more countries this time. So it's growing and it's, and it's a large growth. You know, like I said, it's, it's over double the exo competition. So that's, yeah. and, and not just, you know, the numbers, the quality. You know what I mean? Everybody's exoskeletons seem to be substantially better than they were last time, which is great to see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just just four years, and it seems like a lifetime almost in technology landscape. Well, in technology, four years is is a lifetime. (laughs) Yeah. But what do you believe is going to be the biggest, but what, yeah, what has driven the the biggest change four years ago to now, technology-wise? The biggest driver of the technology or the, the biggest move forward? The biggest move forward, yeah. What's the cause of it? The cause? I really think the biggest cause is kind of a, is awareness. You know, we had 2016 that was kind of a lighting factor for a lot of this stuff. Yeah. You know, like a lot of people saw it for the first time. And, you know, the new kind of a numbers game, you know, you, you know, 100 people, if we kind of contact jumped, we can go from one or two to a million people really fast. Yeah. And And I feel like that's been kind of the driver of it is we contact jumped it, you know, jumped in 2016. And by doing that, we got people involved that weren't involved. And those people, you know, helped bring new ideas to the table and push ideas that weren't necessarily known or thought of before. And those kind of things helped out in making progress. Yeah. Because it's just a matter of imagination, right? That, yeah. That you start thinking outside of the box and, and say, what else can we do? And because, I mean, one of the things, of course, is that, that you try to mimic like humans and, and a normal walking behavior. The question at the end is whether that's the most efficient way to do that. Um, <laughs> that is definitely questionable. Yeah. So has there been any thought around that? What we focus on a lot is, is where we draw the line as far as what the machine decides to do and what I decide to do. That's a good one. Yeah. You know, where do we draw the line? Because if I'm walking along, you know, and I hit a little stutter and I go to account for that stutter somewhere, but the divide, you know, the exoskeleton is also going, you know, to make that adjustment. If we do it together and, and it knows what I'm going to do and I know what it's going to do, then we can work together. But if it's going to assume control, then we've both lost control. Yeah. So we have to find that fine line. That's our, that's our biggest determination 
you know, that we focus on a lot, you know, and it's, it's a hard line to draw. And through that, we kind of just do it, the kind of the feel test, you know, we give it a little bit of room. And if it does something that's, you know, if it does something that's advantageous, we allow it to. And if we notice that it is not, then we, you know, we take that back. That's an interesting one. That's truly yeah, the augmentation side of things. It's not one and one, but it's one and one tries to be, well, trying to make it three. Great. Yeah. It, it really to is. Get, to get better, yeah. But that's kind of the beautiful side of what I find of kind of, I don't know, it, it's just one of those things that sticks out to me that, you know, I ended up working on an exoskeleton project, you know, as a paraplegic with a company who's, you know, or I don't say a company, it's, you know, non-for-profit, IHMC is a non-for-profit organization, but, you know, with an organization whose name itself, you know, kind of embodies human and machine cognition, you know, and what we're trying to accomplish is essentially a machine taking over, you know, the lower, the lower half function of my body. And, you know, as much as me and my wheelchair work together, it's because the wheelchair does everything that I tell it to, you know, intuitively, but the exoskeleton, how does the exo, how do we get that same, you know, feedback system, feedback loop into the exoskeleton? That's an interesting engineering task to complete here. So what are you most proud of achieving so far? What is an anecdote where you say, okay, this was a moment where, where I, yeah, that truly blew my mind. The 2016 Cybathlon was probably the most re- rewarding and exciting experience that I've had in the exoskeleton, especially, you know, to be representing the team that I have, you know, working with me, you know, to, to be able to give those guys, you know, a sil- we, won, we won second place at the 2016 Cybathlon. That's why it's so, you know, so rewarding to me to be able to give those guys back their, you know, their recognition for all the work that they've put in you know, especially on the world stage. But I think the moment of like, we made it, like this is actually going to happen and that this is the future was whenever we were invited to the Toyota Mobility Foundation's, how do I say this? <laughs> it kind of, it's a stuttering moment. The, the terminology is a little different. I think the biggest we made it moment was whenever we went to the introduction meeting for the Toyota Mobility Foundation's Mobility Unlimited Challenge to walk into the door of, you know, an, a worldwide organization like that and see that they are getting behind this initiative of, you know, advancing, dis, you know, disability technology and, you know, mobility efforts to see them get behind that and start being a driving force in this kind of, you know, world was, okay, we've made it. Now this is going to happen. It's becoming mainstream, which, you know, once it becomes mainstream, then we can, we can move up river fast and actually, you know, accomplish the goals that we want in time. Yeah, that's yeah, very rewarding. And I must, I mean, specifically also, if it's going to be such an important change for, you, for yourself to be able to, to, to participate and to, yeah, to contribute to that must be incredibly rewarding, yeah. Well, all of this is very rewarding for me. And, and that's, you know, that's the, the reasons that I've pushed forward with it. But a lot of people that know me, they've heard this before. I will probably never, you know, or maybe I'll be too old to enjoy it or, or something like that. But I've adjusted very well to my wheelchair over the years. And I pretty much do as I please, you know, for the most part. Nothing really slows me down. I look at everything that we're doing here at IHMC and all the other exoskeletons and the other technology that is, you know, giving mobility back to people with disabilities, people just like me. I look at all of this as 
hopefully that 18 year old kid that I was, you know, an accident will happen to him and he will, you know, get paralyzed. And some of the technology that I'm working on or helping to push or develop will be what he's given whenever he has the same problem that I did. And he'll go back to the same job that he had and he won't have to start his life over. Yeah, that's magnificent. And that's at the end, yeah, but it's the biggest driver, of course. I mean, I wrote a book around creating a remarkable, well, a remarkable technology company. I normally talk about remarkable software companies, but remarkable technology <laughs> companies. Yep. So companies that we keep talking about. Having been involved in this now for a while, what do you believe is, yeah, are the traits or is a trait that a company needs to have in order to do something that people keep talking about? So a trait that a company has to kind of be successful in this and to make the innovations? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I think it's the same as it is in any business. You know, I don't mean to demean the word or anything like that, but the customer, you know, the end user, the people that are going to apply the technologies that are being used, whether it be, you know, the exoskeleton that we're working on here or, you know, a new car or gaming computer or, you know, or a cell phone, whatever that may be. You know, we notice who makes strides in the market and who who wins, you know, so to speak, in that market. And it's the people that pay attention to the feedback of their end user. And the way, you know, to do that is to get somebody that's going to want your technology and then give them a reason to want it. Let me make a small interruption here. Mark just made an excellent remark about what innovation is really all about. To make a meaningful impact and create something that's valuable and desirable. It's what creates the winners in the market, whether that's in the exoskeleton world or any other. It's a trait remarkable technology companies master. They understand that they cannot please everyone, so they focus on the specific cases where they can exceed expectations and with that create something that people want more of and keep talking about. These are traits that you can learn as well. To start, I would recommend you to read or listen to my book The Remarkable Effect. You can find it on Amazon.com. Back to the interview. Very good point. Give them a reason to want it. And I mean, I also like your point earlier on in the interview that you said I mean, that where I'm going to be ready to trade in my wheelchair. So, yeah. Exactly the moment where you say, I want this. Yeah. And that's going to be a really hard sell with somebody like me. As much as my wheelchair is, you know, the bane of my existence, so to speak, it would be very difficult for you to talk me out of giving this up. You know, like there's no, there's that's nothing strange, in the morning. Right? Yeah, there's nothing in the morning that I hate more and enjoy to do than get in my wheelchair. <laughs> well, you know, that's that weird paradox. Going, but at the end, <laughs> if you look at a wheelchair compared to an exoskeleton and how advanced one versus the other, because at the end, a wheelchair is like a, it's a chair with two wheels. Yeah. It's super simple. It's light. It's an, um, it's an Egyptian era technology. Exactly. And you still don't want to give it up. So still some ways to go. How long do you believe that that is still required in order to get to that moment where you say, okay, and now it's gone? (laughs) I don't think in my lifetime there will be a point where a wheelchair will be completely obsolete. I do feel like over the next probably five to 10 years, we'll be at a, not just IHMC, but somebody else across the world as well. But I mean, definitely us here, you know, as far as the way we look at things, the next five to 10 years, you know, we should have a device that may not completely 100% replace my wheelchair, 
but in the next five to 10 years, I would say we should definitely have a device that I can use at work in a standard environment that I can predict. You know, I wouldn't say necessarily real world application as far as just taking it out and walking down the street randomly. But as far as controlled environment in spaces that you know, like your home, your workplace, you know, friends and family, things like that. I think that at that point you would have something that we should have something capable of doing that. I don't necessarily believe that, you know, of course, FDA and, you know, approvals and all the red, you know, regulation that goes along with that is another story. But I think the technology will start to get there over the next five to 10 years where it's, okay, this is a very, you know, a very useful device. You know, do I think it's a replacement device, you know, in five to 10? No, but I think another 20 to 30, it would probably be commonplace, you know, if not normal to see exoskeletons in the world, if not for paraplegic use, definitely for strength augmentation, you know, work time uses, things like that. Yeah, exactly. So well, that's a good, that's good evolution at the end, you know, and it yeah. doesn't have to, for, for every situation, but at least giving you opportunities to participate in, yeah, in society in different ways and all those people around you. So, yeah, I mean, from all the lessons that you've learned and the tidbits of wisdom that I always talk about, if you would have to give advice, one piece of advice to technology companies, how to deal with end users and or possibly how not to deal with end users, what would it be? This may just be my personality coming in, to, you know, to speak on this a little bit. But as, you know, end user of, you know, not just, you know, the exoskeleton technology, but all users, I think some of the most frustrating stuff as an end user to get it, to give feedback is to give that feedback and then to be argued as to why that's not a good idea. Okay. Does that make sense? It makes you know? a lot of sense. <laughs> and it's not that necessarily any company goes out and strives to do that to, you know, the end user when they ask them questions. But whenever, you know, whenever you're asked a question of, you know, what do you want? And then you answer that question, I want this. And then they give you a reason as to why that is not possible. Uh-huh. then you're, you know what I mean? If you asked me what I want, you didn't ask me what was possible. No, exactly. You know what it's I mean? Like so you, so you, you get a question about what is the, the product of your dreams. Uh, that's right. So I say to technology companies, you know, humans have been building technologies of various kind over the past thousands of years. And from the basic lever to the most, you know, advanced supercomputer of today, all we've wanted technology to do is make our life easier and less stressful. Yeah. So that's the focus, right? <laughs> exactly. That's true. Well, if that could be achieved for you and for everybody that's paralyzed or in, in one way or the other disabled, big thumbs up, I would say. All technology around. is, is the answer to a human, you know, a human problem. But it's so cool sometimes to do something that, that just looks cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I think to me, that's the point of art. And sometimes art and technology are not that different. That's true. That's a very good point. So where can people go to find out more about the innovations that you're involved in? If they are interested in anything exoskeleton, they can always go to helpquicks.org. And for IHMC, you know, anything on IHMC, there's always IHMC.us, which is the, you know, the home site for IHMC. And then, I mean, getting in touch with me, there's contact information on the Quicks page. I'm on Twitter and all the social media stuff. I don't necessarily, I'm not very social media oriented. So the best way I guess would be quicks.org. And then there's contact email address and all that kind of stuff there. So very good, Mark. This was 
Like, like I said, a totally different type of interview than I normally do, but I truly enjoyed it. It's amazing what you're going through and what you're involved in with IHMC. So good luck for the coming years to go and good luck in the Sabathlon 2020 and in the Mobility Unlimited for Toyota. We're going to look out for that, see what your results are going to be there. Thank you yeah. for this. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to have the opportunity to talk with everything and you've been a pleasure to speak with. I really look forward to uh, hearing how the podcast goes. And this ends my conversation with Mark. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Mark Daniels, researcher at the Florida Institute for Human and Machine Cognition. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.